Welcome to the Good Growing Podcast. I am Chris Enroth, horticulture educator with University of Illinois Extension, coming at you from Macomb, Illinois. And we have got a great show for you today, folks. We're going to be talking about CSAs. What is that? We'll find out uh, with local foods educator Nick Frillman. Uh, he's going to give us the whole lowdown on what is a CSA and maybe why you might consider joining one. I can't do this by myself. We are joined every single week by our co-host, uh, Katie Parker, our local food systems and small farms educator. Hi, Katie. Did I? I oh, man, I muddled it up again. Two times in a row. <laughs> That's okay. You'll get it. Third time's a charm. How are you uh, doing? I am doing great sitting here in my basement, freezing my toes off. So how about yourself? <laughs> I'm doing well. Yeah, I mean, it's cold outside too, so hopefully it'll warm up in these next couple of days. Precisely, you know, and that's kind of the the way you got to look about it is uh, it's just, it'll get warm eventually. This is all temporary. You know, maybe if we lived on the equator in a tropical rainforest, we could be like, this is all that there is. Uh, right. But no, yeah, we have something to look forward to. And we kind of brought it on ourselves. We did choose to live here, so. Exactly, exactly. And, and someone who I know is ecstatic to be living in the sub-freezing weather is horticulture educator Ken Johnson in Jacksonville. Hey, Ken. Hello. There's a reason I left Florida and came back to Illinois. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the freak, uh, uh, like, freezes that occur, but they're not really that cold in the middle of winter in Florida weren't enough for you? No, I think the five years we were there, I got below freezing maybe five or six times. Not enough to kill the pythons, right? So, <laughs> Nope. No. Well, even that, further south, you get even less than that. We were in North Florida. Oh, goodness. Oh, mm-hmm. my. That's true. You were in North Florida. Well, I, I don't know. Ken, Katie, um, it, it's cold out. The one thing that I have been comforting myself with is like seed catalogs, uh, kind of planning and thinking about what's coming up this year. Um, and there are some options for us uh, when it comes to fresh local fruits and veggies, uh, CSAs, which Nick's going to tell us about. But have either of you ever been a part of a CSA before? I have not. I haven't either. Yeah, I, same here. I, I, I could only say that I have participated in helping a grower uh, with the CSA. So that's about as far as, as, as I can say that. Um, probably because on a typical summer, I have way too many tomatoes anyway to, to know what to do with. So uh, maybe if I want something besides tomatoes, I should look at a CSA. So uh, without further ado, let us introduce our guest for this week, local foods educator, Nick Frillman. Nick, welcome to the show. Hello, Chris, Ken, and Katie. Good to be with you. Well, it is good to have you here, Nick. Once again, uh, following our, our nice little holiday break that we had, um, I'm curious, Nick, you know, as, as we kick this off and talking about CSAs, could you just help us with these acronyms real quick? What is a CSA? Yeah. Um, so I guess it's it's not what is a CSA. It's what is CSA because what it stands for is community supported agriculture. So yeah, it is referred to as like a concept, um, also something that you can be a member in. Yeah, it's kind of confusing, but like I said, community supported agriculture. So community members investing in this case, their money um, upfront for um, a share of the farm, basically a share of the dividends of what the farm produces um, on a anywhere from a monthly to biweekly to weekly basis, depending on um, what type of uh, agriculture you're supporting, be it vegetable, fruit, meat, 
eggs. So I'm kind of getting into the weeds already. Um, do you have any other acronym based <laughs> questions or did that cover it? I think that's it. So community supported agriculture and that, yeah, so that sounds pretty broad right now, but yeah, so we'll dive into that today. Yeah, looking forward to it. So you kind of hit on some of this already, So, but kind of give maybe a little more detail on what exactly, what exactly does this kind of community support agriculture mean? And, and if you're a farmer, kind of what does that mean on your end? Yeah, okay. So uh, yeah, let me uh, take a step back here. So um, the origin of CSA uh, is, is actually uh, from other countries, um, Japan and uh, actually other places. There's a whole, that could be a whole podcast is the history of CSA. I'm just going to skip that, skip right to when it got to the United States about 1970s. And it was an East Coast phenomenon at first. Um, so from there, migrated to the Midwest. And now we have CSA subscriptions available for purchase. So what is that? How does it work? So how it works is, if I'm a small farmer, let's just take the example of a vegetable farmer in our area. At the beginning of every year, you're looking at the seed catalogs, like Chris mentioned, you got to buy your seeds. You also might need to get new irrigation equipment and harvesting stuff and hire labor for the season. And there are a ton of startup costs at the beginning of the season. Same thing as a conventional you know, cash grain, same goes in the vegetable uh, farming world. And so how does uh, a farmer potentially cover all these costs if they didn't have a lot of uh, leftover cash at the end of the previous year is they uh, make available for sale shares of their future um, farm products, just like you, you know, might get a share of the dividends of a stock if you were to buy a stock. So this is the same kind of thing, except instead of, um, you know, putting money into the stock market, hoping you get something back, you're putting your food dollars to work for you to support local agriculture that they, the producers can use to buy um, their things that they need to get the season going up front. And then, so, you know, you might be looking at a couple hundred dollars all the way up to five plus hundred dollars. And at first that seems to boggle the mind a little bit. That's quite a bit of cash for somebody to put together and not get anything back for, uh, for a good amount of time, but it actually usually works out to about 20 to $25 a week um, is about the average price, depending on what the product is. And so once you're paid up, you have like farm credit with uh, the farmer and they'll give you a share weekly at some point during the, the growing season. Typically, May is when a lot of them get going if they're vegetables. Then you'll get a weekly or biweekly share of what is most fresh most delicious, et cetera, um, on the farm at that time, uh, curated to you, usually at a pickup location, um, close to you for convenience. So that was quite a bit of info. Um, feel free to uh, ask some follow-up questions. So Nick, it seems like you know a lot of information about CSA. How did you become most familiar with uh, what a CSA is? Yeah, um, I, I did become very familiar uh, with CSAs. Um, I worked on a vegetable farm in Sandy, Oregon during uh, 2020. I got there about five days before the pandemic started and uh, with hopes of, um, you know, getting to know lots of new people out there and uh, checking out the local breweries and um, hiking a lot. And then everything closed down. Um, so it was the perfect time to learn how to vegetable farm and learn the ins and outs of the CSA program that the farm put on. So the farm, which folks can find on Instagram, uh, super great Instagram page I recommend following called Slice of Heaven Farm in Sandy, Oregon. 
um, their family farm is a CSA and two farmers market farm. So they grow vegetables for one farmers market in Sandy, one in Gresham, Oregon, which is a eastern suburb of Portland, and then um, their CSA program, which is about uh, last time I heard it was about a hundred uh, subscriptions. Um, so roughly speaking, uh, they put together a a bag or box we would do of uh, whatever was most fresh in season, as well as uh, staples that they tried to have every week um, for people in the Sandy, Oregon area to pick up either at the farmer's market or on farm. And um, those shares typically had staples like carrots and lettuce, um, but also some more adventurous things like radishes and bok choy and um, other Asian greens. Um, one of the uh, uh, proprietors of the farm is a uh, Filipina. So that was a, a big crash course on how they work, how much they cost, where to pick up, what goes into making the shares available and what kind of costs farmers are facing at the beginning of the season. So Nick, you like talk about CSAs and you say shares and, and you're investing in this farm so they can invest in themselves. And, and then your dividend is you get to fill your belly with their food that they grow. Um, this sounds a lot. It's it's like like toe and toe with stock markets, you know, almost. You know, it's just. Um, but I don't know, like, when it comes to shares um, in the stock market, you can kind of go bad. Is there is there ways things can go wrong in a CSA? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, and yes, there there are definitely. So especially if you're supporting a farmer who's you know relatively new to the game. Um, but even with experienced growers, uh, things can go wrong, right? So if they're newer growers, they might not, you know, plan their succession planting quite right. So if they have a goal of having lettuce and carrots in every box for 20 weeks from May to October, um, you know, a couple of weeks, they might over harvest or under harvest. And, you know, you might not get both those items every single week. That's like the not that bad end of what can happen. The worst end of what can happen is uh, what happened to us this past year, our, um, our CSA uh, subscription we had at the beginning of 2021 was a farmer who unfortunately was affected by our 15 inches of rainfall in McLean County event. And he had, you know, water, he and his partner had water six feet above all their plants. And a lot of them were, you know, just not salvageable. Um, and we ended up, um, you know, we had some, some cash, some credit left with the farmer. We had just started getting our shares. So it was a few weeks into the season. Um, and a lot of folks that had shares with them ended up donating the balance of their shares to um, help them recover. So we paid the full price for our CSA for like 24 weeks and we got three weeks out of it. But we believe that our food dollars were best spent helping that farmer recover for this coming year. And thankfully, they're going to be back in business this year. They've rented higher ground. So that's good news. But crop failures can happen out in Oregon. There were wildfires that dumped ash on some of our plantings from a nearby fire. So um, it's definitely a risk. But um, when when it really pays off um, and when, you know, the farmers are doing a great job producing, it's super rewarding and a very intimate um, food experience to have. Yeah. Uh, so like everything in life, there there is risk involved in this. Uh, That's correct. Yeah. So, Oh, good. I was just going to say uh, there are definitely folks in, in your area, farmers that have been 
um, doing the CSA thing for quite a long time. So a good bet if you're, you know, interested in this, but maybe, you know, a little bit more risk averse, um, do some calling around, uh, see what options there are nearby to you and see who's been doing it for a long time. Because guaranteed, if you've been doing this for five, 10 plus years as a farmer, you've seen some things and things have happened to you and you've persisted. That's part of the agriculture game is persisting when the going gets tough. So they're probably not going anywhere if they've stuck around for this long. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned a lot of times we're getting you know, vegetables and stuff like that, but what, what all can you get from a CSA? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, people typically have gotten to know um, CSA through vegetable options mostly. Um, and that's inclusive of the um, CSA options that started off the trend in the United States. So those, uh, you know, Northeastern um, East Coast CSA, especially around the New England area, were mostly vegetables, but it's definitely in recent years broadened out to include um, almost anything that you can find at a farmer's market, for example, and even some things that you can't find. So um, some, you know, not that extraordinary, um, you know, alternatives to vegetables might be eggs, meat, um, also fruit. Um, that's a little bit more of a unique one. Um, definitely eggs and meat are, are a CSA that go together quite well. Um, people that are fixated on, you know, pasture-raised meat and farm-fresh eggs can definitely find some options near to us. Um, fruit as well, like I mentioned, but then I've even seen some seafood CSAs or um, specifically a salmon CSA. I saw in the Champaign-Urbana area where this vegetable farmer had a a relationship with a fisherman up in Alaska. And once a month, they would receive a shipment of like fresh caught, flash frozen um, coho salmon, you know, so um, people are definitely getting creative with this stuff. Just recently, I saw a CSA for um, baked goods and um, baking materials. So like pastries, flowers, that kind of thing as well. So really anything that people eat and want on a consistent basis throughout the year could be a CSA. So it seems like vegetables are the most common thing that you get with a CSA. Um, what vegetables are most common that you can get with a CSA and when would you get those? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and definitely, um, I'm on, this will be year three of the CSA lifestyle for me coming up. My wife and I are definitely going to, um, purchase a share pretty shortly. And um, on in all the CSAs I've had, uh, which are, once again, vegetable-based, um, definitely carrots are a big one, a whole bunch of different types of greens, usually lettuce, usually kale, and then certain times throughout the year, arugula, um, some Asian greens like mizuna, bok choy, tatsoi. Um, so I'm, you know, I know some people might not have heard of those, but yeah, greens, lettuces, carrots, other root vegetables like um, beets, radishes. I love beet greens. And if you can get a couple of good bunches of beets, beet greens are something that you usually can't buy in a grocery store. A lot of, some grocery stores do have beets with beet greens still attached that look good, but a lot of them don't. So there's definitely some special things you can get in a CSA that um, if you can get them in other places near you, a lot of times aren't as good of a quality. trying to think of other things I've gotten. Um, Oh, of course, peppers, tomatoes, eggplant, um, you know, all of the sweet corn. Sometimes sweet corn is a little bit of a a hit or miss because that takes up a lot of time and space um, with growers operations. So some people will grow everything except that. 
Um, and then towards the end of the year, you're looking at, you know, pie pumpkins, winter squash, sweet potatoes. Um, there are some farms that offer over 30 different types of vegetables in the CSA throughout the growing season. And they're usually about 20 to 25 weeks long. Typically about May through October is the, you know, normal CSA around here could be June through November. Um, and then in uh, one producer's case, um, Prairie Earth Farms, which is out of Atlanta, Illinois, is next year, I believe, going to a fall winter, a fall overwinter CSA. They're no longer going to do their CSA during the summer. They're just going to focus on producing those summer crops for bigger, you know, wholesale markets, I believe. So there's a lot of different um, options, but those are those are the basics. Can you choose what you want? So say if you didn't like a certain vegetable, can you opt out of that? Or um, if you have preferences, can you make those suggestions? Yeah, I've definitely gotten this question a lot. And um, so the short answer is sometimes. <laughs> it's definitely up to the producer. So um, for example, at Slice of Heaven, um, typically we allowed, you know, if it was a, a frequent customer that had been with us, you know, at least more than that one growing season. Um, and they came to pick up their, their share at the farmer's market and they weren't asking for like the most popular thing in exchange for the least popular thing. Then we, we definitely work with them on that. Um, there are some CSAs around us that are set up so you can precisely choose what you want. Um, cook farm, uh, right here in Bloomington, um, basically has you pay them the money, uh, the cost of the share up front, and then you get a CSA credit card, essentially, or debit card. Um, and then you bring that card with you to farm pickups, either at the farmer's market or their farm store um, out on uh, Tawanda Barnes Road. And um, they'll just debit off of your, your uh, card amount, however much anything costs. So you, you really range a lot. There are some CSAs that are um, very much so a here's your box or bag of veggies for the week and that's it type deal and you don't get any say at all. And then there are some that will let you pick whatever you want. And then there are some that, you know, will allow a substitution or two. Um, so really, you can shop around for what fits your, your family needs the most. And then also, so like if you have a family of five, obviously you're going to want more food than a single person. Is that an option when doing this? Yeah, frequently you'll find um, farmers that offer CSAs, uh, CSA memberships for sale to the public will offer something like um, a half share for, you know, an individual or a couple um, where they'll have, you know, three to five items. And then a, a full size share would be like five to seven items. Um, and then sometimes they'll offer a double share. Um, so in, in the case you just mentioned for, you know, family of five or more. Um, definitely a double share of what have you, meat and eggs or uh, veggies would definitely, you know, go a long way. And um, that's just, you know, double the double the amount of money that the farmer's getting up front. So um, I've seen a couple cases actually of uh, farmers adding the double share uh, to their, you know, um, rotation over time because of demand like that. That's awesome. Yeah. The, the work that goes into managing the CSA from a farmer standpoint, it's, it's a lot. Some of the growers that I work with, uh, I'll talk with uh, one of them and she says, I'm on the phone most of the week managing orders because kind of like what you mentioned, some people want this, they don't want that. Or how dare you give me more kale than what you already have? Um, things like that. Um, and I think CSA 
like community supported agriculture. That's such a, like a noble cause, like feeding the local community, healthy fruits and veggies. But then I, it seems like a lot of growers get into it and they're like, this is a lot of work because I think it's the one reason why a lot of us got into plants is um, they're not people. Uh, <laughs> and CSA <laughs> farmers, they got to deal with people all the time. So I, Nick, was it hard for you when, when you were um, on that side of the things, on the grower side of things? Did you have to do a lot of working with the uh, client and customer? You know, um, I didn't really. I mean, we had some people, you know, sometimes you leave on vacation during the summer um, and, you know, you don't pick up that bag at that time. Um, there was definitely a lot of upfront work per week on the logistics side of things. And we would go out into the fields and we would harvest, you know, the, we, we would uh, guess how much kale we were going to sell at the market. But then we knew for sure that 46 people were going to pick up their shares at the farm at yeah. that time on Tuesday. And so we knew we had to have 46 bunches of kale plus whatever we would sell at market later that week harvested. So like, your counting and logistics for those things have to be, you know, at or above your minimum number. Otherwise, you don't have the bare number that you need to fill your CSA bags and things like that. But after that, customer service wise, um, the farm I worked on did such an amazing job of producing awesome vegetables that basically the customer service side of things was just like learning how to say you're welcome in different ways because mm -hmm. so many people were just so thankful to have like this amount of fresh, clean, nutritious food for them um, just brought to their doorstep or they'd come pick it up or, you know, dropped off at the farmer's market. So in my experience, if growers are doing a good job growing the vegetables or the meat and eggs or what have you, um, just anecdotally, I didn't think it was that big of a deal customer service wise, like off, off the farm. On the farm, it was logistically intense, but as soon as you got off the farm and started giving the product um, and receiving your money, it was not easy because nothing in farming is easy, but not that bad. Okay. So, I mean, like brass tacks, when we think about some of the biggest hurdles to getting a person to participate in the CSA, mm -hmm. uh, and, and you mentioned you're part of a CSA, like what is the cost weekly or maybe on that? Like what's an average cost? What should we expect? Yeah. So, um, I think I mentioned this number earlier, but a lot of CSAs, um, once again, are like several hundred dollars up front, anywhere from, you know, 250 to 500 or more. Um, but it works out depending on the length of the CSA and when it starts, it works out to about 20 to $30 a week. So mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but my grocery bill just like at Aldi, you know, is for a family of three is about uh, you know, $150 plus $50 other stuff that I buy elsewhere. So that's 200 bucks a week. And it lasts us about two weeks. So I think grand total, we spend 400 or more dollars on groceries and I'm not buying the fanciest stuff. So in comparison, just for the fresh food segment of your food that you're going to eat for a month, 20 to $30 a week is, you know, not a drop in the bucket, but I think a lot more people can afford it than they really think. And, you know, you might have to take a, a little bit out of savings at the beginning to make that big payment, but then the rest of the season, you don't pay and you receive vegetables. So it feels like you're at certain points, it feels like you're getting this amazing stuff for free. I know you're not, but like once you swing that initial investment, it's just as long as the farmer does a good job and the weather holds up even a little bit, um, it's amazing. 
So, um, yeah, there's definitely, you know, it's not an, an insignificant cost up front, but um, I think it's worth it. And the only other um, obstacle to being a member, um, you know, in the vegetable world, let's say, is if you don't cook, you know, three nights a week at home minimum, um, I definitely think you should reconsider being a member. Um, what CSA has meant for me is um, lots of uh, fun filled times in the kitchen with the family, chopping vegetables, listening to music, talking about our day, um, just growing closer as a family and eating amazing food. And if you're not kind of into cooking, I'm not sure that this is for you. <laughs> okay. Well, that, and that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Unless it's baked goods, like a CSA for baked goods or something that's, you know, ready-made like, uh, you know, yeah, that's a great example. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, that, that might be worth it. But I, I know Ken hires his chef, his weekly chef comes <laughs> into the house every week and they prepare the food and yes, they go. sit down to a delightful bottle of wine. <laughs> oh, yes. The children. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like I, the kids, we have hot dogs and macaroni. <laughs> <laughs> Put a little bit of kale on that hot dog. <laughs> so, okay, Nick, one more thing you mentioned about the connectedness of the family, but back to the community side of the CSA, mm -hmm. one of the, we've mentioned maybe a couple different types, like the shares are delivered to you. You go pick up the shares at a farm stand or somewhere on the long roadside. Um, you even mentioned you have like a debit card that you go and use at a, a farm stand. One that I really liked, it was here in Macomb. They're not no longer in operation now. Um, uh, is it was this weekly get together every Sunday they had a cookout their share members came they harvested it was like a you pick almost they harvest they picked uh the farmers would have a big meal that everyone would come and eat it was like very community focused thing and you like not only like where family is getting closer but you're getting closer with your neighbors so I think there's another value to it there too yeah that's a good point um so I'm in avid listener of uh, the Farmer to Farmer podcast uh, by the now unfortunately deceased host, uh, Chris Blanchard. I think mm -hmm. I mentioned this podcast in our in my last appearance on the show, but there are quite a few um, interviews that Chris did um, where uh, the farmers that he was interviewing described a situation like you just described to me where um, there was an option for, you know, typical pickup at the farmer's market or, or where have you, but there was also an on-farm um, you pick option. And this is also something that uh, Slice of Heaven uh, offered, at least when I was there last, they, they may still be doing this uh, at the Oregon farm I was at, which is instead of paying for your CSA, there was a work share option. So if you didn't want to pay the $30 a week, you could show up at the farm on harvest day, um, you know, with uh, the farm crew and go out and pick the carrots and bundle them and wash them and pack them and do the whole nine yards. And, uh, you know, the crazy part was we only asked for two hours of work from the um, CSA work share um, in order to, to, you know, pay off that, that bag of veggies for them. Um, you know, uh, judging by the $15 an hour rate, two times 15 is 30. That was about the value of the vegetable bags. Um, but a lot of them stayed on for four hours, sometimes full days, depending on the amount of time they had, just because they loved, you know, being involved on the farm and they felt like they had a, a bigger stake in it and that it was more meaningful to them rather than like, here's my money, give me my veggies. Okay. See you next week. You yeah. know? So there's definitely, if you're a producer, 
I think it would be um, really cool to consider doing what you just described because as far as I know, I don't think there are any producers in our area, at least around Bloomington, um, that, that offer such a thing. And I think mm -hmm. it's um, a really interesting way, really informative way to get to know um, your food shed, as it were. So going back to, to kind of what you mentioned earlier, that most CSAs are kind of in that April, May, June to start time into October, November. Uh, and you mentioned winter CSAs. So what kind of stuff would you be getting kind of with the winter CSA? And why do you think those aren't quite as popular as our kind of our typical time frame? Yeah, that's a really good question too. Um, I mean, so first, your first question, what might you typically be getting in a winter CSA? So um, a lot of storage crops. Um, so what do I mean by storage crops? I mean, winter squash, which are typically, you know, your butternuts, spaghetti squash, acorn squash, also your sweet potatoes, um, your storage roots. So, you know, sweet potatoes, carrots, onions, beets, radishes. Um, yeah, those types of things. So I think as a uh, society, um, even bigger than, than the United States, just in the Western mindset, we've been trained to um, be able to have whatever we want uh, produce-wise all the time because we have this interconnected, you know, global ability to ship food thousands of miles. And we've kind of gotten away from the seasonality of food as it once was, right? So you can't grow a tomato in New England in January, nor can you in, in Illinois, right? So some would have it that, you know, maybe you just don't buy tomatoes at that time of year so that you're not um, contributing to, you know, global warming, um, large carbon footprint, etc. cetera. Um, but I think that's really hard for people that um, don't know how to cook um, or they know how to cook, but they don't have the time or, you know, myriad other reasons. I think that seasonality of eating um, is hard for some people um, either to tolerate or to work into their schedules or they just don't want to do that. So I think why it might winter CSAs might not be as popular is because as a society, we've some of us have forgotten how to cook these things, especially your, you know, I mean, right now I have about four or five winter squashes on my counter and we know how to cook them and I know how to cook them really well. <laughs> um, so we've gotten a, we've gotten a lot of them and uh, we're definitely doing our best to keep up. And sometimes with your busy work life, it's just not possible or you don't want to eat it every every other day. Um, in this case, it's just my fault. I like didn't get into cooking them until right about, you know, the Christmas time. So we're working through our stash, but what's really cool is they don't go bad. I mean, they sit on my counter, they'll sit on my counter for another couple months and like nothing will happen as long as it's 65, 67 degrees. So did I answer your question? I think I did. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Great. I once forgot a spaghetti squash in my pantry and like three months later I grabbed it. We ate it. It was still fine once you cut into it. Mm -hmm. it didn't go soft on us. No, I mean, you know, you might get some discoloration. You might get a little like, uh, you know, maybe the slightest amount of softening in the place right where it rests on the counter. Yeah. But like a lot of these things store for a long time and almost indefinitely if they're in the cold. So like carrots, for example, at the Student Sustainable Farm at uh, University of Illinois in, uh, in Urbana, when I was there as a grad student, 
Um, one of my research projects was a, a weed control study using carrots as the test crop because carrots are notoriously bad at competing with weeds. And it worked. I grew a ton of carrots and um, we put them in, uh, we harvested them, cut the greens off, put them in plastic bags, put the plastic bags in wooden crates in October. And the student farm took them out in February or March to sell to the dining service. And they were grade A still, you know, mm. so these things can at, at 33 degrees can last almost half a year sometimes. By the way, this is a total aside, but I think <laughs> we were all participating in some shape or form in the specialty crops conference last week in Springfield. I'm super stoked to try winter growing again. I used to do it more often, but yeah, I heard uh, Dr. Alan Walters from Carbondale was talking about winter carrots, and I've done that before, and I want to do it again now. He got me stoked again. So winter crops are, can totally be a thing. Yeah, you know, um, I was unfortunately attending remotely last week, so I don't think I got to watch that one because I was only watching the live stream stuff. I'm still working through the backlog of uh, recordings from the conference, but I'll have to go back and watch that one. It's it's the Dixon Springs crop update on uh, like the first or second day. Bronwyn Ali was doing that one. So let's uh, let's put that in the show notes for sure, because that's something I would love for for folks to, yeah. to look into is winter growing. Oh, yeah. And um, this kind of it kind of relates uh, really quickly to uh, Ken's previous question: Why aren't winter CSAs you know more popular than than you know they are right now? Um, it's really hard to grow all year round <laughs> as a grower. I mean, they bust their they bust their humps you know from uh, February through God knows you know November into December sometimes, and right now after Christmas until you know. I mean, slightly before Christmas till like end of January is like just about all the break time during the year that some of these people get. So to like factor in, you know, okay, I'm going to plant carrots in September so they can be ready in January. And you go out in your high tunnel when it's, you know, zero degrees out. And I mean, at some point you got to take a break, otherwise people get exhausted. So, um, and that's a good way to burn out is to start a farm and then be an all year farm out the gate not something most people do. So Nick, are you participating in a winter CSA right now? Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. We are subscribed to the uh, Prairie Earth winter CSA. Um, we went with uh, Prairie Earth Farms um, in May or June of this year for the uh, what remained at that point of their like normal, I'll say, CSA. So from like May through October after um, being a member, I was a member of uh, Cook Farm CSA here in Bloomington, and uh, they were the unfortunate victims of our massive amount of flooding here in the county um, and, and elsewhere uh, over the Mother's Day weekend. And um, yeah, so I'm hoping to uh, subscribe to their CSA program again this year when they get up and running. But last year, you know, we still, you know, we needed to have veggies. We're just like addicted to the veggie lifestyle, addicted to the CSA lifestyle. Um, so we went with Prairie Earth's typical CSA. Now we're in the winter one. And just this past week, we got in our share, we got um, carrots, head lettuce, um, daikon radish, sweet potatoes, butternut squash, regular potatoes. Um, it's called ugly garlic because <laughs> it's like it was like slightly misformed, but it's still delicious. Um, I think I might be missing one or two things. So that's the, like a slice of, you know, what you might expect 
over the winter. Once again, it's like your hearty winter greens and, uh, you know, storage roots. And would you say, is it usually enough produce for your family for the week or do you guys use it all? Yeah. Um, it's like one of our favorite games we like to play over the course of the week is, uh, can you use it <laughs> like by, by next Thursday? Because, uh, you know, if you don't, um, some of it can go bad or, or like what's happening on my kitchen counter right now, the counter can fill up with winter squash and, um, neither my wife nor myself like visual clutter. We like everything to be, you know, in its place. And just like this mound of w winter squash on the counter, looks really cool for a while, but then it starts to make you feel guilty. So I think, um, over the weekend, we took one of those acorn squash. Um, we cut it in half, scraped out the seeds, um, drizzled it, the inside in olive oil and uh, salt and black pepper, um, with the face side down on a baking tray at like 400 degrees for an hour, I want to say. Um, and uh, took that out and added a mix of marinara sauce and goat cheese in there and just scooped out the squash meat, which was super tender after that, put it in a bowl with some, uh, with some pasta as well. And that was just amazing. So um, it can be done. Cooking with them is easier than you think. Um, but, but yeah, we do, we do try our best to finish it in a week and it is enough. Yeah, that, that sounds, sounds better. delicious. That sounds really good. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. I mean, all you need is a can of pasta sauce from Aldi, a uh, little chunk of goat cheese from Aldi, and then a CSA subscription. <laughs> <laughs> do you find, too, like, uh, do, do CSAs ever provide recipes or anything to go along with, like, the produce that they're providing for the week? Excellent question. Um, some of them don't. Um, and I don't know why, because <laughs> the ones that do are super popular. So yeah, that's a great way to, you know, like solve this dilemma of, I would love to support my local producers. Um, and I do have time to cook, but I'm not really that good at it. And, uh, yeah, both, um, uh, Marietta easily, one of the proprietors of slice of Evan farm, my previous boss, um, she loves sending out, you know, the weekly update with one of her favorite recipes for, um, you know, what they're doing that week. I think one of my favorites was a radish salsa. Never heard of that before being on the farm. Um, and we'd talk about those recipes as well to uh, folks at the farmer's market that weren't CSA members, but we just, you know, hip them to that as well. So definitely being involved with your local farming scene is, yeah, uh, especially if your CSA provider gives you recipes. It's a great way to learn how to cook at the same time say for all that extra vegetables or, or even some of the leftover things that you don't eat. Um, my mom walked in over the holidays to our kitchen and she said, I've never met anyone that has a worm bin in their kitchen, but I do because all the scraps just get, Oh, Ken's got one in his kitchen. There you go. All right. Two people on this call have worm bins in their kitchen. So um, I need to get with you guys after the call or at some other point and figure out how I may also join this club. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, if you have, um, we have, we actually have a giant compost pile in our backyard and it's really good stuff. And what we do is we have a five gallon bucket, um, in the, uh, in the kitchen and yeah, anything that's like past its prime will go in there. Um, I also have, um, a, a gallon plastic bag in my freezer, which is for the butt ends of celery and carrots and onions and things that we 
constantly discard that are still edible and I'll fill that plastic gallon bag up and then make some awesome veggie stock too. So definitely if it's like kind of past its prime goes in the freezer bag. If it's way past its prime goes to the compost bin. Another good option is chickens. If you have chickens, they love to scratch and eat, you know, kale and collards and, uh, you know, not just leafy greens, but you know, the, the rotten parts of tomatoes and the, the husks of um, corn and I mean, you name it. So anything that you can put in the compost bin, except maybe eggshells, um, I would throw to the chickens as well. Oh yeah. Well, Nick, some of, we, we kind of talked about this already, but I, I would say like the grocery store, it has made us maybe a little bit picky about what types of vegetables and things we want. Um, and, and we mentioned how you can work maybe with your, your farmer, your grower, to change some things around and, and some of the different styles. I, I'm curious though, I have seen some of these, what are they like cooperative CSAs where it's like multiple growers, you got a dairy farmer, you got meat growers, you got vegetables, uh, you got the salmon, uh, uh, you know, catch of the week that's flown in. Um, are those like really common? Are those getting becoming more popular? Because it seems like you need to have something to give yourself a little bit of an edge over that grocery store with that selection that you might get. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a really good point. I know that um, there is a group out in Livingston County and I'm always, I hope I don't get a, get a text message about this, but I'm always trying to remember what their name is because there's a couple different names of groups of growers in Livingston County, but um, Stewards of the Land, I believe is the name, uh, Marty and Will Travis. Um, mm -hmm are uh all, it used to be called down at the farms um are offering something um related to what you just mentioned um they'll have a you know an order form every week of you know uh, what they have and they get stuff from flown in from california like citrus they also have honey from local producers meat from other local producers eggs um corn grits lots of different artisan grains so that is much more so the cooperative like here's all these growers and everything that they have on hand this week. What do you want type deal? And then you fill out that form and you go pick it up a couple of days later. Um, I wouldn't say that's getting more common only because it's logistically, that is a lot to manage. Um, they're doing it really well. Um, I would love to talk to them a little bit more about, you know, how they can potentially streamline something like that. So, um, you know, maybe it could become more common, um, definitely. I think CSA growers banding together with, um, with other growers is a great idea. So once again, in farmer to farmer podcast, I've heard of folks doing the vegetable model, but sweet corn and winter squash take up a lot of space and they take a lot of time. Same thing with like watermelons, cantaloupe stuff that people like to eat. But once again, like vines all over the place, not easy to manage when you're doing 30 other things for 30 other crops. So like, um, I know a farmer who grows, you know, the typical things I described in the CSA, carrots, onions, peppers, tomatoes, the really popular stuff, lettuce. Um, and then they'll actually contract out with an Amish grower who only grows um, summer and winter squash and melons. And like those Amish farmers don't need to go retail. They don't need to go to the farmer's market, don't need to go to the grocery store. They sell to that other farmer. And some people have reservations about, you know, supporting a CSA that buys in, but having been on a CSA operation before, I'm definitely here to say like, 
I don't find any shame in that whatsoever. And if I can get more stuff for the same price as a producer and the farmer can make their CSA share more attractive because there are more options that people like to eat just being offered, I don't see what the problem is. I think there's multiple ways to go about it. I mean, mm-hmm. I for many years, I've been hearing um, certain like growers, like not well, like educator growers, celebrity growers, whatever they're like, pick like one or two crops and become really good at that. Mm-hmm. And then that's what you'll be known for. And mm-hmm. so, but then on the other side of things, though, there's also the kind of more that the traditional vegetable farmer where they're growing, like, as you mentioned with the CSA, like 20 different types of crops throughout the mm-hmm. growing season, even more than that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I, there's multiple ways to go about that. So cool. Yeah. Just like in agriculture, there's about a million ways to do literally anything you could describe. Apple yes. pruning, vegetable growing, vegetable marketing. Yeah. Yep. All right. So if somebody isn't convinced yet in about a sentence or so, can you explain why somebody who's not part of a CSA should consider joining one this year? Yeah, that is a, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> um, all right. So CSAs are a way to support your local farms, um, invest your food dollars in your community instead of sending them out of the community. Um, and at the same time, if the farmer is doing a decent job raising the, the crops or the goods that they're raising, um, you're going to be treating yourself and your family to increased health um, from, you know, healthful food products that Um, you'll get hopefully as a result of being a member. Um, Last but not least, um, you know, a farmer who's curating a product uh, to your family is going to care a lot about the quality of their product. And you're going to form an intimate relationship with somebody that's feeding you food on a weekly basis. I've become good friends with some of our CSA members from the farm I worked on. And I've also become good friends with farmers who have um, been the farmers offering me the CSA program. So just myriad different ways to, to support this system. And I think it's worth every penny. So I think you've done a great job selling us on uh, (laughs) CSAs, Nick, Mm -hmm. but if uh, someone was interested in getting involved in a CSA, what suggestions do you have for them to figure out um, what they have available to them locally? Yeah, great question. Um, There is a really cool resource I just found last week when I was typing up these talking points. And it's from this website called Buy Fresh, Buy Local Central Illinois. And the title of the webpage is the almost complete list of CSA farms in Central Illinois. Um, And Central Illinois in their definition ranges anywhere from, you know, Decatur to um, Northeast Ford County, all the way west of Peoria to all the way east of Champaign. So, is a pretty wide swath. And, um, you know, if you're listening in Bloomington, you'll find some Bloomington options. If you're listening in Champaign, you'll find some Champaign options, but also, you know, there are a lot of small towns um, in between all those uh, locations, you know, even on on over towards Macomb where, uh, you know, I just right now, right before this show had to Google a couple of the names of the towns because they were that small and I didn't, didn't know where they were, even though I've lived here almost my whole life. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's one good resource. Um, I do want to rattle off a couple, um, from McLean, Woodford and Livingston County. Um, just, you know, plug in my local farmers here. So, uh, in McLean County, we have, um, cook farm. They do, um, 
you know, the regular vegetable program and they're good for, uh, in my experience, staple goods. Um, you know, your, your lettuce, your carrots, um, peppers, tomatoes, etc. There's Epiphany Farms, um, also in Bloomington, which does something Chris was mentioning, which is, you know, lumping together an optional egg share an optional bread share. So they're kind of like edging towards the full diet Epiphany Farms CSA type thing. Um, Prairie Earth Farms is out of Atlanta, Illinois. Um, and uh, there's also Henry's Farm in the Congerville area. Um, so all those folks are doing vegetables and they're in my immediate vicinity in McLean County. There's also um, Sunny Lane Aronia Farm in uh, Woodford County, and that's a fruit CSA. Um, and then in Livingston County, uh, Timber Feast Farms is a meat CSA, and I also believe they do eggs. Um, they, they had a, a really awesome um, option for Thanksgiving turkey that we, uh, that we bought this past year. So that was cool too. Um, that's just in my three uh, counties, but there are um, a couple other resources online. I would just Google CSAs near me and, um, you know, do a little bit of uh, detective work. Um, don't be afraid to reach out to farmers um, through their Facebook pages and send them a message. Say, hey, I'm so-and-so, I'm thinking about your CSA. Could we schedule a time to talk sometime? Set up a phone call, send an email. Um, this is your food for next year we're talking about. So, you know, that's worth a decent amount of time and investigation in my, in my view. I would definitely need that optional egg share because there's nothing that I love more than eggs and some wilted chard. That's one of all oh, there's some garlic. Mm. Now I'm hungry again. I'm going to have to go look for my nearest CSA grower. Um, Cause this has been so like, I don't know. I just keep everything is just building up hopeful, hopeful for spring and it can't get here soon enough now. Um, but I will enjoy this winter time. Don't you worry, Ken. We'll, we'll go sledding here again and drink some hot cocoa outside. Um, Nick Frillman, local foods educator. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, you're welcome, Chris. And, uh, Hey, I think you should pull some, uh, some future, um, attendees of the program for me. My wife, Emily, and I were thinking about this concept because winter is always so hard to get through until the growing season. What if Christmas were on January 25th? Oh yes. <laughs> Cause you have Thanksgiving and then Christmas is right after that, like a couple weeks later. And then we have this like doldrums of the winter that we have to get through until the growing season. If you had something like January 25th Christmas to look forward to, um, anyway, you know, see if it, see if it flies with, uh, with other, uh, um, good growing attendees. And yeah, let's, let's start a, a January Christmas movement. <laughs> I would think so. Ken, you're our Christmas expert here. I mean, you celebrate what all year. Why not two? <laughs> Why not two Christmas? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it was great to be on, and uh, I'm happy to answer other CSA questions if uh, anybody wants to get in touch. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Nick. Well, the Good Growing Podcast is produced by Wendy Ferguson. This week, it is edited by Katie Parker. Uh, I am Chris Enroth, and a special thank you to our co-host with us every single week, Katie Parker, Ken Johnson. Thanks for being here, guys. Yeah, thank you, Nick, for joining us and providing us all that great information. And Chris and Ken, it's good to see you guys again after break. Yes, thank you, Nick. I learned a lot. And Chris and Katie, it's good seeing you again. So it's kind of weird doing this. I forgot what we were supposed to do. Yeah, it's, it's all new. But now that we're back in the routine, let's do this again next week. Oh, we shall do this again next week. Now that we've started a new year, let's look back on the last year and see what kind of questions this podcast raised for you. 
Um, we have I've had a couple questions that have come in in the last few months, and so we're going to answer those next week. And so if you do have questions, please feel free submit those to us. Our emails will be below in the show notes. So. Listeners, thank you for doing what you do best, and that is listening, or if you're watching us on YouTube, watching, and as always, keep on growing.